and welcome to another episode, yet again, of the Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. <clears throat> well, or falling. <laughs> as the case may be. Screaming as they fall to their doom. Ah, that's horrifying. All right, with that pretty mental picture, welcome. Once again, I'm Randy. And I am Mike. And together we form the gestalt known as the Dice Are Screaming. Yes, the Dice Are Screaming podcast is with you once again. And it's a Tuesday, so hope you had a great weekend and the week's looking up for you. Hopefully you've got a game maybe during the week or coming up on the weekend, but either way, we're going to be with you, or you with us, for about the next 30 minutes or so as we ramble ourselves hoarse with <laughs> topics both weighty and trivial. Yeah, you can expect no less from the dangerous 70s children's toy of gaming podcasts. That's right. Beware of small hearts for choking hazards. Yep. Oh, yeah. The uh, Lawn Dart... Oh, oh, 70s gaming podcasts right there. Yeah. Pawn darts were fun, man. <laughs> well, sure. Uh, destroyer of little brothers everywhere. Well, don't throw it at them while they're going to fetch them. Oh, come on. The forbidden game of dive bomb. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hurl it high and get out of the way. Hazing. In those days, it, it, <laughs> it winnowed away the weak. <laughs> Only the strong were fit to survive. Gamma World style. Yeah, you're right, a passage. Okay, well, yeah. with that in mind, hey, that's a new thing for our Gamble World Survival Rolls is lawn darts. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, scavenging through the rooms, you find a set of heavy, rubber-coated darts. <laughs> oh, the ancients were a cruel people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and on the damage table, it should be at least, like, three die, yeah, three die four, at least. For yeah, you know, yeah, sure. They're huge. Funk. Those head crits. And this is not like your English uh, quoits here, okay? This is, you know, (laughs) this was Olympic-level dart shot pudding, okay? Yeah. Funk! Good Lord! Is it built for ogres? No, tiny children. What is wrong with you people? Yeah. (laughs) Well, we had fun back then. All right. So, yeah. uh, On to our weekly topic of whatever it is we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, we'll keep you in suspense for a little bit longer. Just uh, shout out to all our good friends out there. Tim Shorts, stately Gothridge Manor. And, of course, to uh, oh, the Chuck cats. Doran in Playing It Wrong. And the cats over at Wheel and Woe. Yeah. Joe Richter and company. Loving your podcast. Keep it up, guys. Oh, not to mention our pals at the Ten Cars Tavern. Eric yep. Ten Car, we love you. And, of course, Frothsop. Oh, yeah, our man Frothsop. Yeah, the... Uh, Psionic platypus. Yes. The psionic platypus. The thought eater. Yep. Uh, let us know how your uh, campaign's going. I've kind of gone silent. haven't seen much of you, but uh, good job on the fanzine. So, making our rounds, uh, we'll get into the topic right away. Because we're going to talk about tonight, saving throws. So, brace yourself. That's right. We're going to talk about <laughs> saving throws. And it Prepare sounds like... your 20-siders. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about that Ballyhooed... Mechanic from yesteryear and beyond, how it's moved and changed, and how vital it is to basically making sure that the game has a bit of challenge, but also uh, cushions that risk. Yeah, because it is about balance. Okay, I mean, that's right at the crux of this. Yeah. The, the saving throw was an attempt to balance what could be a dangerously arbitrary system uh, that the high casualty rate... Uh, made personal investment in a character almost pointless. 
Uh, now, I'm speaking of the very dawn of the game, the, the origin point at which all of this began to emerge, when uh, most of this was out of people's notebooks. Now, they needed a mechanic to introduce a means by which uh, characters could explain attempts to avoid serious harm. Hair trigger reflexes, critical thinking, uh, last-minute uh, Hail Mary pass. Those high-drama moments cried out for a measurable mechanic, not merely the DM decides that it missed you. Uh, it, it needed something that both allowed the possibility of harm being very real, and yet with time and experience and considerable ability, a fair crack at avoiding total destruction, because dungeons, well, they're full of opportunities for total destruction. And that got us the saving throw. Yeah, that's a time-tested uh, wargaming trick. Basically, when you'd lop a template on something, occasionally um, at the edges, it started with like anything at the edges or whether or not there was a question of it getting hit, they would allow a little fudge rule, which was called the saving throw. And usually, like, you know, anything above a four or five, you know, you would save. And it got a little bit more complicated as time went along and uh, formalized. But let's just uh, move forward here to where we're talking about in D&D. And uh, in the original editions, the very first uh, Dungeons & Dragons white box, it was classically, the saving throw was not a given. Correct. Um, you had to have kind of a explanation of, you know, like, okay, the spellcaster is casting, oh, gesticulating wildly. What do you do? Well, I jump aside. Okay, you get a saving throw. But then came other things like charm person. and Which is really more of a matter of your own personal will. Yeah, they were a lot harder to adjudicate. Like, I close my eyes. I disbelieve. I chant. Didn't Conan resist spells, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> And so it kind of came more into vogue and a little bit more standardized, I think, around Eldritch Wizardry when they began to discuss that just you got a saving throw. And it was kind of a half measure of, like, if there was a fireball that suddenly went off, um, you might leap aside at the last second, you would hold up your shield or something, or cower behind the fighter. <laughs> and, you know, that kind of made it a little bit more, I guess, if you want to, uh, for lack of better terms, a little bit more standardized, and by the time first edition rolled around, the saving throw was well entrenched. Other uh, games like RuneQuest and a few others, uh, like the Fantasy Trip, kind of included a reflex or fortitude type save. You know, your con your build or your constitution or stamina, and to resist poisons and other bad things. Where D and D, you either saved or died. Yeah, it did tend to be a little more extreme, and I, I will admit. I entered gaming at the uh, critical point where it was firmly established in the first edition era, and the saving throw was already entrenched as a part of the game. It was just really uh, assumed that it was the appropriate action to take for remedying uh, DM player conflict, that it was... It, it was just an applied part of the game. However, as I continued to play and eventually DM, I began to see a certain 
oh, disparity in the over-applied saving throws. So, although I would call myself a uh, die-hard old-school gamer, uh, I'm open to a little more interpretation, including some of the old-school risk where DM Fiat determines whether a saving throw is appropriate at times. It just a little stodgy part of me is like, all right, let's, you know, you got a guy who's really brash playing a high-level fighter. They got a boatload of hit points, and they really think they're full of sass and vinegar. And at the bottom of a 60-foot pit filled with razor-sharp spears, each soaked in poison, uh, is a valuable treasure. And in a fit of pique, the guy hurls himself off the edge directly onto the spears, thinking, hey, I got, you know, saving throws to make and, you know, like damage I can soak up and... Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's one where the DM just goes, you know, I'm closing the book on this. You don't get a saving throw. That was phenomenally stupid. Or Not only plus one leather armor. Yeah. Damn, dude, you were robbed. No, uh, when players do something that bows out of the common sense sphere, it's totally, to me, within the DM's rights to nerf any kind of saving throw they might make. Like, I hurl myself directly into the dragon's mouth. Dude, it's about to breathe fire. You heard what I said. <laughs> okay. I got a dagger in each hand, and I'm carving him from the inside. It, no. Uh, you are a charcoal forget before the dragon a moment later. Uh, what about the saving throw? Dude, you were warned. <laughs> right. And, you know, uh, <laughs> as I'm thinking about older systems, Tunnels and Trolls had a, a luck save versus things like that. Uh, but it was always kind of uh, based on the level of the danger. So, like, if you were really facing something uh, quite sinister, like a dragon or a Balrog's uh, fiery oh. breath, yeah, it was a lot harder to save against. But, of course, that's a different mechanic that we're not really going to touch on on this one. Oh, no. We're speaking it. specifically on just the mechanic of allowing a saving throw. And early on in the game, some people felt the saving throws were kind of wussified. <laughs> handouts uh, to players who didn't have the skill to say uh, ahead of time what actions and precautions they were taking. So, I kind of, like Mike, I'm kind of with two minds about it, but I think that a fair a application is to just allow saving throw, roll dice, and let it sort itself out. Now, on that measure, there's a lot of different uh, ways in which uh, saving throw was adjudicated early on. I mean, they had five categories in the original Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, which were paralyzation, uh, Ooh, yeah. poison, death magic, and then there was category uh, petrification, or you know, excuse me, uh, petrification and polymorph. Uh, rods, staves, and wands. Which kind of signified that they weren't as powerful as a true spellcaster. Yeah, true spells. Well, well yeah, it was spells, and then dragon's breath. So you had these five categories. Let's see. Is that okay. Paralyzation, poison, death magic, petrification, polymorph, oh, so on, dra dragons, or breath, and, uh, oh yes, and spells, of course. Yep, that is fine. So, okay, great job uh, not keeping up with the topic. What, what else? There was something included in the breath weapon category, wasn't there? No, it's just breath weapon. Dragon's breath, all that. So sometimes uh, modules would call, like, for a... Uh, a flaming gas gas trap that was ignited by stepping on a pressure plate or something like that. They'd say, you know, have players make a saving throw versus breath weapon for half damage. 
And that's usually what it was. Is usually you got away with half damage, or in the case of poison, you weren't affected, or uh, spells, uh, some of them like uh, charm person or whole person, you just shook, shrugged it off and kept on going. So uh, poison was the one that basically you either <laughs> saved or you didn't. Yeah, until the advent of variety poisons. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was theoretically possible to be slain by the poison of the giant centipede. Uh, oh, yeah. You want the plus four to your save, you can still die. Yeah, yeah. The bad day to roll a one. Oh, wow, you succumb to the venom. I'm a dwarf with an 18 constitution. I had a total of, what are they, four, five, uh, you know, like nine, 13 to the save. Yeah, so you're found out that your dwarf is deadly allergic to centipede venom. Yeah, tough day to be you. Oh, you died. Roll with your character. Ah, oh, hate this game. Now, uh, I kind of empathize at that point. I really do. I, I feel like uh, the advent of different types of poison came along and allowed a lot more DM control, a whole lot more finesse. Like, okay, this is a tiny, puny creature with a mild poison that will clearly sicken somebody. Uh, yeah, you get sicken, you get a condition, plus maybe you get, uh, you know, a little dex damage here or there. Or, you know, uh, it just makes you sore, so your uh, strength goes down a few points. Um, and it lets you scale up the degree of threat, because if you were dealing with first-level players, okay... Sure, you know, it's a poison that does base damage, which still holds a high likelihood of killing them. Yep. Uh, or, alternately, uh, it's a, you know, sleeper or a paralytic that allows them to be captured. Oh, boy. Taken alive by their enemies, uh, which a favorite of mine. Hello, Drop. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, when you've got very high-level players, you can pull off the gloves and just hit them with the stuff that, like, oh, yeah, this is a heart stopper, dude. This is, like, you know, being shot full of Oxycontin and fentanyl. You know, just <laughs> what a cocktail. Bow! <laughs> Down you go. Uh, is that commercially available without a prescription? <laughs> I mean, is that legal to walk around with? No, I'm pretty sure you've got to contact the Assassin's Guild. Oh, boy. Look for the guy who looks a little sleepy. Ah. So... <laughs> so yeah, uh, Poisons was a big one, and of course, we're all familiar with Petrification Polymorph, uh, saving throw, you know, changing you into a rabbit or a bug and get stepped on by the wizard. Hmm. Um, or, you know, put into a hat and used for cheap tricks at the children's birthday parties. Yeah, I turned them into a turtle, then I turned them into turtle soup. Oh. Yow! Cold. Vicious. I like it. So, uh, you know, Petrification, uh, that was kind of like well, one of the big ones is because it was so hard to get your character back, but yet you knew that he was there. Oh, yeah. Uh, more than once, we lugged a statue into town that uh, was our pal, uh, fellow player character. Uh, and <laughs> uh, is there a mage in this city strong enough to cast uh, Stone to Flesh? <laughs> Just saying. Uh, which, thank goodness for the Greyhawk campaign, having a high enough magic threshold. Uh, that it was yeah. not impossible to find a, a mage of the 12th level. Uh, well, not too hard. Yeah, they've not, they're not just, like, falling off a tree's left and right, but they're out there. So, you know, it was not a complete disaster, but uh, it, it forestalled some adventures. 
having to lug somebody to town and get the appropriate spell to rectify that situation. Uh, so that was a classic save that, man, if you want to see players sweat. <laughs> yeah, the petrification was a big one. and Maybe you, you know, weren't I, ready for that Basilisk Slayer. Rod Stazenwans uh, occasionally got thrown in there as sort of a semi-will reflex save sort of thing. But 3rd edition came out and they introduced the concept of just three varieties of saving throws. That which affects your well-being in some form or mat another, whether it be poison or being turned to stone, which was a fortitude save, and then a reflex save to avoid those pesky lightning bolts and fireballs, as well as threats that test your initiative and just raw dexterity. Yeah, and you know, although I am known to crustily grump about changes of addition, that is one alteration that has remained to the current day. Uh, it has proven its worth. It was Comparatively simple, uh, very straightforward. It covered all of the essentials, and it was adaptable to unforeseen circumstances where DMs could go, all right, that sounds more like a reflex save. I think that would be the appropriate type of save for this condition. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, your fortitude Somebody check... Somebody's casting an uh, enchantment spell on you? Well, roll your will save to re resist it. Yeah, poisons, diseases, things intruding upon the body that, like, health and vigor would repel. Well, there's your fortitude. Uh, and, of course, things imposing themselves over top of your mind or altering your choices, uh, naturally, pretty much all fall into will. And, of course... Reflex, all things dexterous, all things dodge and catch and grab and throw and uh, everything about limberness and nimbleness, that was all reflex. And it just made good sense. It was, yeah, it was not it, a bad policy. It change. still really works well when you compare the, the two edition, our two various editions, say from first and second edition on into third and fifth. Uh, fourth, I'm not as familiar with, so I can't say authoritarily what how that works, but uh, pretty much it's the same uh, boat. But, like, if you take your poison, paralysis, and death magic, that's pretty much a fortitude-type save anyway, and uh, you took your, uh, you know, you can kind of lump in petrification polymorph, I guess, with that, but, and then split it up a little bit with the spells, which would symbolize a will save. And then the others would be just pretty much, you know, getting out of the way of crap, and, you know, not being caught in the middle <laughs> when the chips are down. So, you know, I... I have had that argument, but I also would like to make mention of that uh, the 5th edition introduced uh, ability saves, and, you know, some people say, well, that's new, and I kind of say, well, no, not really. 2nd edition started putting in ability checks in there to kind of cover as a catch-all Yeah, and uh, I've harvested that, uh, even in a 1st edition campaign, I've, I've harvested that as an option uh, for minor checks. Not, yeah. I don't use it for... Uh, you know, rather drastic circumstances, but I do pull it out when people are trying to use something that would be learning-based or knowledge-based. It's time for an intelligence check. Uh, whether something would or wouldn't be a good idea, you know, falls into the wisdom. Right. Uh, or determining whether it's a pious or impious action, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm willing to use them as fallbacks for... Even in a first edition campaign, uh, I'm willing to use them as a little fallback for resolving non-critical issues. And 
I admit, second edition, you know, that that was yeah, a useful. It was, it was a useful. It was tied to the proficiency system, which was the kind of ad hoc skill system. Too. Yeah, it was a little clunky, I admit, uh, but it was still forming. It was in its gestation. Yeah, period. and you know, there were to be out to fair with anybody who is too harsh on second edition. You know, they didn't want to change too much, so. If sometimes things seem to kind of carried on with a little bit with second edition, maybe a little too long. Uh, what was I hearing that uh, every four years you should do a new edition? I was like, oh, wow, I think that's a little excessive. But I kind of understand where you're getting at, too. Um, yeah, if you did a shoddy job and your first edition is full of errata, then that's on you. Um. <laughs> yeah, other game systems, let's see, uh, like Deadlands and Shadowrun, uh, they more or less just had uh, saving throws built right, uh, cooked right into the system, so to speak, with uh, ability checks, which were familiar to most everybody in playing Dungeons and Dragons too. So that was a big uh, thing where it was made easy, and it's just a, a mechanic. But the real reason behind saving throws was not to cushion the blow, but was to give players a fighting chance. Like for instance, okay, the wizard just cast a charm spell. I guess you're charmed. Yeah, helplessness. The role playing game is just not nearly as entertaining as D&D. Um, I was never a fan of helplessness, the role-playing game. You know, and if, if you're just there to listen to somebody tell you what happens, go read a book. Uh, mm -hmm. I expect dice to hit the frickin' table, man. Oh, well, yeah, let's not get into that, though. Uh, <laughs> we just talked about that a while ago, the fudging of the dice the whole thing. That leads to dicelessness and yeah. communism. Yep, communism. That's and open kimonos. Well, let's put a stop to at least one of those, okay? <laughs> I, could, I, I guess I could uh, live with a little communism if it led to less kimonos being left open, unattended. Yeah, so if you had to pick one to sacrifice, it would, it would be the kimonos. Yeah. Okay, well, well... I'm just, uh, I'm not gonna, you know... Don't judge me. <laughs> Stella approves this message. Yeah, well. <laughs> Free the kimonos! Oh. <laughs> what do food and dark humor... Have in common, not everyone gets it. <laughs> oh, Thank you, Joe. Oh, oh, great. Oh, man. Not well, everyone gets it. Uh. But yeah, back on track on the uh, savings from mechanic. Man, you know, uh, so much can be made out of, uh, with a little bit of tension in a failed saving throw, where the fighter suddenly becomes charmed and is making goo-goo eyes at the uh, succubus, which, <laughs> hey, honey... Um, and the rest of the more strong-minded characters are trying to not kill their friend while he's trying to protect his newfound girlfriend. Um, it does add tension, and it allowed some type of differentials between the characters. Like, for instance, if you looked at the way that the charts were set up, fighters had the worst saves as it started off in the game. And then they progressively, they gained levels, uh, their savings throw table changed like every two levels. So they learned through hard knocks and experience. Yeah, it was mostly that they began the game with a greater array of weapons, greater array of armor, and a nice quantity of hit points. Uh, and correspondingly, they suffered on the saving throw table uh, against most of the things that were magic-based. It was not their strong suit, and that has continued to be true to this day. Uh, mostly by the judicious yeah, application. Fighters of, and thieves still have the worst will saves. Yeah, that they 
they each have their strong point now. The warrior-type classes all benefit greatly, assuming that Constitution was a worthwhile uh, pickup uh, in their assortment of uh, points. They do well on fortitude saves. Uh, rogues and all roguelike classes, once again, the reflex, if they, you know, it is not merely a lonely child. <laughs> it is a rogue's best friend. Uh, the reflex save, Thank strong you, Duran, suit Duran. with, yeah, Duran Duran. <laughs> Took me a minute, sorry. Caught <laughs> uh, me winking and blinking. But the will save, again, mages, and it clerics. stays true to the origin point. The uh, spellcasters of all types just have a natural strong suit in attempting to resist the intrusion of magic and spells. Uh, it was a pretty fair compromise, evolving a connection to the past into something that was completely functional in the new. So I, I was pretty happy with the 3.5 era. Yeah, and well, and it's continued in that you can use feats and traits and things like that to boost those saves, uh, making your character a little bit more formidable in certain areas that uh, you saw fit from their background and upbringing. But. Oh, yeah, like Farstucker's infamous resistance to toxins, poisons, and intoxicants of all kind. Yeah, well, uh, that <laughs> comes from a life of hard living. So. <laughs> there's secondary effects from that. So. Yeah, uh, the uh, you know, there's somebody who uh, thinks the pangalactic gargle blaster needs a little more al you know, can Can you put some more Cointreau in this? Yeah, can you pep it up? I mean, it seems a little flat, you know. It just needs a little more pep. Yeah, what are you talking about? It's 90 proof. How about some Everclear? <laughs> yeah, I can just, you know, clean my uh, gas tank with this, you know. Just scrub off, excuse me, the uh, rust stains from the bottom of my car and all this stuff. Anyhow, you know, uh, saving throws, they have a varied history with some DMs not liking them or only allowing them under specific circumstances by the player and others. Just pretty much, you know, let the dice fall where they may, you know, roll, see if you make it. And if you don't, well, that's just too bad. It, but it is. It is a standard dynamic that still exists. It has a place. It belongs. Yeah. And, you know, what would your D&D game be if you didn't roll to save to take half damage versus a fireball? Oh, wow. Um, you know, a lot of baked characters uh, and... I have taken half damage from an awful lot of fireballs. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for every circumstance where I did, because it could easily be uh, against a high enough level opponent game ender, you know? It's, uh, that <clears throat> ability to have the characters have a fighting chance, it's central to the entire idea of not so much the game being fair, uh, but Phenomena being measurable, uh, being something that you can account for by yeah. applying a certain amount of random chance and a certain amount of decision making. That, like, some of it is fixed, some of it is mutable. I always thought that the dividing line between those those two states uh, was what made D and D amazing. Mm -hmm. Just it made it an endless puzzle where the results are different every single time. The ultimate choose your own adventure. No, and that's, you know, uh, the best thing about a saving throw is is that your dice are deciding it. And, you know, that's part of what makes the game interesting is that you never know what the dice are going to do next. So, with that, and hats off to the saving throw, we'd also 
probably ended up on that one because it's a nice topic, but, you know, I think we pretty much walked away around it. Oh, well, well, sure. I mean, and it's a fun one, too. It's, yeah. it's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I do see the the criticisms of the Saving Pro, uh, and I, I still maintain the caveat that, like, again, DM Fiat, uh, the, the power of the DM, uh, must be in place at all times. Well, like walking through a wall of fire. I mean, yeah. choosing to cross it, you don't get much of a save on that. I mean, you can save to avoid being caught on fire, of course, because, you know, you just be really quick or nimbly uh, jump through the wall of fire. Jack, be quick. Jack, be nimble. And Jack, make his reflex save to avoid catching on fire as he jumps through the wall of fire and takes 32 points of damage from the maximized wall of fire. Uh, yeah, if uh, they do something on on the other hand, like, okay, I take my last water skin out, I douse myself, then I do a running broad jump. Uh, try to jump as high as I can through as much of the flames as possible. Landing on the other side, wet and singed. Okay, you know what? If you got a rationale and you've, you've really thought out your actions, I, I feel like as a DM, that's a, an encourageable Yeah, uh, one round scenario. of dousing yourself with a sufficient quantity of water and another round making a full action move to jump to the wall of fire. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. You invested two rounds and some personal goods in an innovative way to try to reduce the amount of harm you take. Okay, saving throw perhaps. And then the rogue hands you the, his potion of resist fire. After he meets you on the other side, having already consumed his. Because that's what rogues are for. You know, you could just ask me, bro. <laughs> that's, uh, I got your back. Literally. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but it was more fun this way. Oh. Also, here's your purse back. Yeah. Uh. So yourself. <laughs> no. But the noble saving throw uh, has lodged itself in our hearts. We failed our save against it. It won. It won. So, wherever you are and whatever you're doing with whatever game system, we hope that you incorporate saving throws and have a lot of fun with dousing your players with fire and or into an, with oil and then passing through a wall of fire, <laughs> as I have done before. <laughs> oh, well, you can't... Well, let's hope they don't fail their saving throw versus awesome! Yeah. <laughs> I'm on fire and I grapple the wizard. <laughs> Uh, when you've got hit points to spare and you just don't care. <laughs> I Give it a little love. Mad respect. Mad respect. So wherever you are, uh, remember you can reach us on Twitter at me at uh, DeathHandGaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D Gaming. And Match I Vox. And also our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming. Send us a like and we'll add you there. As well as check out our episodes on our Anchor podcast. And also with that... May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.